Good morning. Our reading this morning is from Matthew 12, verses 46 to 50. If you have a Shed Bible, it's on page 901. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Marcel. The Lord be with you. We are continuing our fall series here. We are calling it Essentials. We've so far talked about God, we've talked about the Bible, we've talked about worship, and now, what are we talking about? What is this passage that we have here from Matthew's gospel, where Jesus seems to push away his own mother and brothers, and is calling his disciples his family? What challenging and provoking words. And no doubt for us here in West Michigan, where family seems to be so central to our lives, we can maybe understand a bit of what's happening here, the challenge that lies in this text for the context in which Jesus is speaking these words is one in which family is central to life. That indeed, in the time that Jesus is speaking these words, family is central to the societal and cultural context to the point that it is one of the most fundamental and important places for a person to reside. And so what is Jesus saying here? What does this mean? What do these words mean and why is he saying it and what might it have to say to us? Well, I think in order to get a little bit of a grasp of what Jesus is offering to us, what Jesus might be saying, we need to turn back the story a bit into the Old Testament. And so this morning, I advise you, invite you, encourage you to have a Bible with you, whether that's a physical copy or digital copy on one of your devices. If you need to grab a Bible from one of the Bible carts in the back, you can do that or pull it up on your phone because we're going to be jumping around a little bit. And the first place we are going to stop is Exodus chapter 19. So invite you to find Exodus 19, handful of pages to the left of where we started out this morning in Matthew's gospel. And we are going to read uh, verses 3 through 6, which will also appear on the screen. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. 
Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Now, we're thrown a bit into the middle of a story here, but we get some clues if we're not too familiar that there's this group of people called the Israelites, and there's this other group of people called the Egyptians. Now, the Israelites have been slaves in Egypt for over 400 years, and through a mighty act of care and compassion and love, God draws the people out of Egypt, draws the Israelites out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and brings them to this mountain where God is meeting with them. And these people are the descendants of this guy named Jacob. Now, Jacob had a handful of children, 12 sons that became the 12 tribes of Israel. But importantly, Jacob was the son of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham. And as we know, Father Abraham had many sons, as the song goes. And so when we hear this story about Israel and Jacob and the descendants and this word covenant, keep my covenant, we are thrown further back into the story, to the story of Abraham and God. And so that invites us to turn a few more pages to the left to Genesis chapter 15. So again, I invite you, if you have a Bible, to turn to Genesis chapter 15. Now where we are at in the story of Genesis, in the story that Scripture unfolds and tells to us, is that there was an elderly couple named Abram and Sarai, whose names would later become Abraham and Sarah. They're well on in years, and they have no children. And they are a people who wander from place to place. And God comes to Abram and says, I am going to make you into the father of a great nation. You will have as many descendants as there are stars in the sky, and I will give you a land of your own. Now, curious as to how this is going to happen, Abraham is a bit unsure, and perhaps rightly so. And in some ways is asking for some proof. How, how will this come to be? And that brings us to this decisive moment in Genesis chapter 15. The Lord comes to Abram and says, Gather a cow and a ram and a goat and cut them in half. Now, if we were in the ancient Near East, as this story was written, we might immediately know what is about to take place, that a deal is about to be brokered, promises are about to be made, a covenant is about to be cut. 
You see, when you wanted to make a promise with someone, when you wanted to show the seriousness of your commitment, when there were promises and responsibilities going to be exchanged with one another, you would often go through a ceremony like this one where a handful of animals would be gathered, they'd be split in two, and then the two parties would walk between these two pieces of the animal in order to say, may this happen to us if I don't keep my end of the deal. If I don't hold up my portion of the bargain, may this happen to me. Now, sometimes this kind of promise, this covenant was made between parties of of equal power, but sometimes it happened between a greater power and a lesser power, say between a God and a person. Now, normally, the one with less power would be the one who would walk through these animals, would walk through the animals to say, may this happen to me if I don't keep my end of the deal. But notice what happens here in Genesis chapter 15. We're going to read from verse 12 on. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and ill-treated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions." You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sins of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. And so here now, suddenly, the scene shifts, and we're brought into this moment. The text says, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, A smoking brazier and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, Your descendants, I give this land. So notice who it is that walks between the pieces of the animal. The one who says, may this happen to me if I don't hold up the covenant. It's the one who is making the covenant. It is God who comes down in this mysterious way and says to Abraham, not only am I promising you this, But I will be faithful to it. I will be the one who keeps this promise. And it's this promise, this covenant that God is making to Abram that is drawn into this story that we are in as we turn back to Exodus chapter 19. For Abraham's descendants were enslaved for 400 years in this country. And then they were brought out to meet with God. Notice what Moses speaks to the people. 
You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. It's only because God has been faithful to the covenant that God has made to Abram. Only because God has acted in a decisive and liberating way towards the people of Israel. Only because God has demonstrated his care and affection and love to the people of Israel. Only because God has demonstrated God's great power that the people are then invited to respond. It's only after they have experienced this good news for themselves and received this grace that they are invited and called to respond by obeying and living out this covenant. Notice what it says here. If you obey me fully and keep my covenant. Obey and keep. Now, these words could equally be translated well from the Hebrew as listen or hear. This first word, obey, is the word shema. We see it in the book of Deuteronomy where we get this great prayer of confession. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Shema, listen, obey. And then this word uh, Keep is this word to mean being devoted to, or to guard, or to protect. And so the idea here is that the people of Israel would be listening to God's voice, that they would be attentive to it, and they would be devoted to God with their allegiance. That what God is asking is not for an empty or sort of robotic obedience, but one that gives one's heart over to God with complete devotion as God has modeled and given to the people that God has been faithful and God has been devoted to God's covenant. And so the people are called to do the same, that they would love God with all of their heart and being and strength, which of course could take us into the book of Deuteronomy, but we won't be headed there today. And so the people are called to live out this covenant. And what that looks like is played out for them here one chapter later in Exodus chapter 20, where we find what is often called the Ten Commandments. And as we see here in Exodus chapter 20, these commandments include this sort of allegiance to God, this vertical dimension that you shall have no other gods before me, that you shouldn't make anything in my image, that you shouldn't use my name lightly or offhand, that my name is hallowed and sacred And that you are to observe the Sabbath day, for I am a God who rested from my work. 
And so there's this vertical dimension of how the Israelites are supposed to keep the covenant, how they are to be allegiant to God, how they are supposed to show their devotion to God. And yet, here in the Ten Commandments, here in this way that the people are to live out this covenant, we also find this horizontal dimension. That God doesn't seem to just be interested in the people of Israel being allegiant to God, but actually holding out something towards one another. Because covenant, covenant was about allegiance. A covenant was also about something else. As the Old Testament scholar Sandra Richter says, covenant is about fictive kinship. That covenant was about making those who were not your family, your family. That if you wanted to enter into a deal, if you wanted to enter into an arrangement with someone who is not your family, but you wanted to say, we are going to treat each other and act as if you were family, you would make a covenant with one another. And so God is making a covenant with the people, but they are also invited to live that out with each other. So there was this kind of covenant that happened between one of great power and one of lesser power. This is called a suzerain-vassal treaty. The suzerain was sort of the one with greater power. They were oftentimes referred to as the lord or the king or here in this fictive kinship relationship, the father. And the one with lesser power was the servant or in this fictive kinship relationship called the son. And this is what is being played out here in the book of Exodus where God is saying, I am your Lord, I am your king, I am the one who's acted on your behalf, I am your father and you are like my children. And so all of you who live under my rule, all you who live under my reign, all of you who are part of this are now a part of this family together and so live as if you are family. And so God instructs them to do things like honor their father and mother, to not kill each other, to not steal, to not bear false testimony against one another, to not covet each other's possessions or spouses or servants or anything of that nature. That because I am the Lord, you are to act as if you are family. And so all of this is humming in the background of Jesus' words that all who do the will of my Father in heaven are my brother and my sister and my mother. But as the story goes and as we know it is told that the people of Israel don't do a very good job of keeping up their end of the deal, of holding up their end of the covenant, their end of the bargain 
And none of us really are good at that, are we? It's why each Sunday we come and we confess as we did earlier today that we haven't held up our end of the deal. But God, God is faithful. God has kept up God's end of the deal. God is the one who maintains God's covenant, this story that stretches all the way from the beginning pages of the Bible and is told throughout this amazing story, this story that isn't just about Israel and their God, but it's a story for all people in all places at all times that God is one who is faithful to God's covenant and it comes to its fulfillment in Jesus. The theologian Sam Wells says it like this. He says, the first covenant showed Israel how to stay close to God. This one shows that everyone shows everyone that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not even death itself. Whatever we throw at God, however deeply we reject God, however much we seek to bury or destroy God, God will find a way back to us. That's the truest covenant of all. God will find a way back to us. God is the one who is faithful to God's covenant. God is the one who has passed through the two animals. God is the one who maintains, who is obedient and fully devoted. God is the one who loves and cares for God's covenant is God's eternal yes to be for us in Jesus Christ. That God will be faithful to God's covenant. That God has demonstrated God's love and compassion to us in Jesus Christ. That Jesus is both the suzerain Lord and the obedient vassal. He is both the one who makes the covenant and keeps it to its fullness for us. And we, by his grace, are made into God's family. That it's only because God has acted decisively on our behalf in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus that what seemed completely impossible has been made possible. That we are family that it is possible for us to be family, that we are something that we couldn't have imagined or become by ourselves. That the covenant makes it possible for us to be family and that we are called to live as family. Jesus is inviting his disciples, is inviting all who hear these words to consider how they are a part of the family. And so is Jesus saying that our families don't matter anymore? 
No. I don't think Jesus is saying that. I think our families still matter. After all, my job title is family life pastor. I hope it matters. Otherwise, what am I doing here? But I think what Jesus is doing is expanding our understanding of family. That family is more expansive than who we are related to. Family is more expansive than those who think like us. Family is more expansive than those who vote like us. Family is more expansive than those who cheer for the same teams as us. Family is more expansive than those who fill in the blank. That there is this bigger family that we are a part of called the family of God. And perhaps that family, the family of God, is the primary location for us to find ourselves in, to work our faith out in, and that gets passed on and worked out in the other spaces that we call family, that perhaps Church is the primary location where we are invited to understand what it means to be a family. And so what might that look like for us? Well, for our kids and students in the room, who might be the aunts and uncles in this room? the grandparents in this room that you can seek out to learn from and to grow with and who can care for you and love you as a grandparent does. For those aunts and uncles in the room, who might be the family of God in this space a niece or a nephew who you can look upon with favor and you can care for as an aunt or an uncle does. For you grandparents in the room who might be a part of this family of God, grandchildren that you can pass your wisdom on to, who you can Shower with affection and love and compassion. Family of God, who might be the widows or the widowers in our room? Who we can care for, who we can seek out and invite to be more fully a part of this family and our families. Jesus is expanding the family. What might it look like for us to imagine this place as the family of God? What might it mean that if our truest place of belonging was not a people of our own choosing, but rather one that we are adopted into by God's grace? What if our truest place of belonging was not 
one of our own choosing, but one that we are adopted into by God's grace? What if that was a message that we were able to demonstrate and show to our kids that show up each and every Sunday that we bless and we send, that they would know that their true place of belonging is here? What would it look like for us to demonstrate that to our young adults in a season of transition, leaving high school, taking on careers and jobs, moving to colleges and universities around the country, that they would know that no matter where they go, that they have a true place of belonging in the family of God? What might it look like for us to demonstrate that? Because Jesus is expanding the family. But this covenant, this will of God that Jesus is inviting to his disciples and all of us to live out of, it's not just one that makes us family, but it's one about us being God's partners in the world, reflecting God to the world and the world back to God demonstrating to a world that is longing to be connected, a world that is longing to belong, that there is a God who invites them to be a part of God's family. There's this short story by Leo Tolstoy about a shoe cobbler named Martin. And this shoe cobbler named Martin has had a bit of a rough life, and he's gifted a Bible, and he begins reading this Bible every morning and every evening. And one day, he reads this story from Luke's gospel about a Pharisee inviting Jesus to come and dine with him. And Jesus comes over to this feast, and a woman comes in and anoints Jesus' feet with her tears and wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. And as Martin lays down to sleep at night, he wonders if there's a way that he can welcome God. And God comes to him in this dream and says, I will visit you tomorrow. And so the next day, Martin gets up and goes about his day and looks out his window as he's fixing shoes, and he sees an old man who's shoveling snow. And so he goes out, and he welcomes this elderly gentleman in and tells him to warm by the fire, and he feeds him a meal and sends him on his way. And then Martin goes back to work and continues to wait for God to show up, and he goes and he sees this woman and a young infant huddling out in the cold trying to stay warm. And so he invites this mother in and he holds the infant and cares for the infant as the mother warms and gets some food. And then he gives her some clothing and sends her on her way. And he goes back to his work again wondering when God is going to show up. And he sees this woman chasing this young child down the street and he goes out to see what's going on and finds that the child is hungry and starving and has stolen something from this shopkeeper and so he goes and he resolves the issue and cares for these two and blesses them and sends them on his way. 
And then he comes back and finally at the end of the day is wondering if he had misheard God. And then to his mind comes these three people, these three visitors. And he realizes that God had indeed visited him. And he just didn't realize it. That he had treated these people like family. That he had welcomed them into his home. He had cared for them. He had shown them love and affection. And even though they didn't realize it, Martin showed them that they were family. And we are invited to do the same. This covenant which God holds and invites us into makes it possible for us to be family, a completely unlikely and impossible reality. But it also calls us to live as family. And each week as family, we come to a feast. A feast in which Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the one who sets the table and Jesus invites his family to come and to receive what they are, the body of Christ. And so Mars Hill, as we come to this table this morning, I say the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. And so we pray, holy and right it is in our joyful duty to give thanks and praise to you, O Lord our God, almighty and everlasting creator. For you have created the heavens in all of their glory and you created the earth in all of its plenty. And you have given us food and friends and family to demonstrate and to remind us of your love. And yet in the fullness of time, you sent your son Jesus Christ to be the one who reconciles us, who brings us back to you. And indeed makes what seems impossible possible. Joins us to you as God's family. And so with the whole company of heavenly hosts in your church around the world, we bless and adore your glorious name. Saying, holy, 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 God of power and might. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And so send your Holy Spirit, we pray, that the bread that we break and the cup that we bless would be to us the communion of the body and blood of Christ. And that receiving these gifts, we would be joined to him and to your church, that we indeed would be what we cannot be without it the family of God. And so we rehearse and we tell this story. 
that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said to his disciples, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after they had feasted, he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood, the fulfilled promise, the way that God indeed makes us family. Do this in remembrance of me. And so whenever we eat this bread and we drink from this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. We proclaim that we are not our own, that we belong to God and that we are a part of something so much greater than we could have ever have imagined, the family of God. And so Jesus says, come. Come, all you who are hungry. Come, all you who are thirsty. Come, all you who are weary and heavy laden. However you come, come. For this is the Lord's table, and he's the one who invites us. For we are his people, the sheep of his pasture, and we are his family. And so there are allergen-free elements here if you'd like to be served or at the tables around the room. Uh, There's also uh, places where you can write a prayer and stick it in the wall and our staff will pray for those prayers throughout the week. Or if you would like to pray with someone, Brian is in the back over there by the mural. Come. All things are ready. These are the gifts of God for the family of God.